All right, welcome back. Week three is in the books. An interesting week of football. We had the AFC West perceived top division in the NFL that some people even projected having four teams make the playoffs. AFC West goes 0-4. We have Brandon Staley who, rewind 12 months, all his press conferences on Twitter going viral. He's going for it on fourth down. Everybody on NFL Live, he's like, Brandon Staley is a king. He inexplicably keeps Justin Herbert in the game with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, down three possessions, and he gets hit again in the ribs. Just brutal coaching. We have Lamar and the Ravens with the number one offense in the league, and Lamar's taking a big step. Looking at these first three weeks, the precision passing, the intermediate passing, it looks really good. And if that defense can get better, that's going to be a dangerous team in the playoffs. And we also had, so the past 16 years in the NFL, teams are 2-106 when they're outgained by 275 or more yards. Both of those wins were 2020 Dolphins beating the Rams, led by Tua Tungavailoa, and this past Sunday, the Dolphins, led by, yep, Tua Tungavailoa over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so today on the docket, going to talk Casey Indy, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, and a Sunday night game, Denver, San Francisco. But as always, let's start with the Monday night game between the Giants and Cowboys. All right, the Cowboys beat the Giants by seven in MetLife, and we're kind of in a pattern of primetime games where they're really close, they come down to the wire, but for whatever reason, maybe it's the teams, the games just are not that exciting. And I thought the Giants' home crowd also was weirdly quiet for a team that's 2-0 for the first time in a long time. You've got a new head coach, new energy in the building and with the Giants organization. And so I was kind of surprised how quiet the stadium was. The story of the game was the Cowboys defense. They had the most QB pressures that team has had in five years. And I don't know if I love that stat because it's almost like if your quarterback is not ready to throw the ball on time when he sees a blitz, then that counts as a pressure when he scrambles out. And so I feel like that's part Daniel Jones. And speaking of Daniel Jones, just still no feel for the rush. He'll have guys chasing behind him, and you're just holding your breath the whole game where you're like, I just don't think he feels this rusher. He has some sacks where the rusher's not coming from the blind side but off the right edge, and you're like, how does he not see that guy? It's kind of almost impressive to have a 250-pound beast barreling down at you right in your vision and just not even see it. And so it was a classic Daniel Jones game. There's some flashes. There's one run where he turned the corner and got a first down. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy is legitimately really fast. So he rushes for nine carries, 79 yards. His rushes were kind of the highlight for him. Throughout the game, if you're a Giants fan, you're holding your breath because you just felt like Diggs was going to come up with an interception. He jumped a couple routes, just missed it. Then at the end, he gets the game-sealing interception, although that was on the receiver Sills falling down and Diggs was kind of gifted an interception right there but if you're a receiver for the Giants you have to have really good hands because no Daniel Jones pass 
is going to be on your body, right? So when we watch Aaron Rodgers on those slants and pretty much every pass Aaron Rodgers has, they're on the chest plate, on the lead shoulder, and it's much easier to catch when you don't have to extend your arms outside of your body. With Daniel Jones, every single pass, there's receivers reaching up, diving, reaching inside, outside, reaching down, everywhere, and that leads to interceptions, especially on those high ones where the receiver goes up, tips off his hands, and then it's intercepted. And that's the Daniel Jones story. And you could see in the play calling, Brian Dable trying to mix things up. So he's not just in the pocket making throws. He's got these scrambles. He's got these like read options where then Daniel Jones will act like he's running, but then pull up and throw it, kind of like Oregon was doing 10 years ago. Also some designed runs. So I thought the game plan with Jones by Dable was really impressive. Saquon Barkley finally breaks one. He, he looks better, but I thought the broadcast was kind of overselling how he is. He's still not running full speed through a hole. He still kind of runs to the entrance of the hole, tiptoes a little bit, decides if it's a good idea to go straight, and then he's lost all his momentum. Um, so that was the Giants offense. Cowboys offense, Cooper Rush was fantastic. Just the placement of some of his passes. So he goes 21-31, 215 in the touchdown. He'd have uh, about 50 more yards and another touchdown if C.D. Lamb catches that wide-open, deep crosser. And he's passing the backup test. Sometimes a backup comes in, they'll give you a good half, a good few quarters, maybe a good game, but rarely do you see back-to-back good games. And he, he's 2-0, beats the Bengals, beats the Giants. And if the Cowboys don't have a capable backup quarterback, they're probably sitting at 0-3 and a couple games away from their season being an absolute disaster. So Cooper Rush has been awesome. Tony Pollard, better than Ezekiel Elliott. It looks like people are finally coming around to that. He's the past couple of years just averaged a full yard plus per carry over Ezekiel Elliott. He goes 13 for 105. Him and Zeke combined go 28 carries, 180 yards. Looking ahead, if you're a Cowboys fan, you love that. You've got Demarcus Lawrence, Michael Parsons, and you can create pressure with just four pass rushers. You can be the worst team. We saw this with the Giants and the Eli Manning run. You can be the worst team, but if you can get pressure with four guys, disrupt a quarterback, you can win games. And that's the Cowboys formula right now. Keep running the ball, get pressure on the quarterback, and I'm starting to like this Cowboys team. If they can keep getting a push, run the ball the way they did, and get pressure on the passer, you can beat just about any team in the NFL. Okay, let's go back to Sunday's games, and let's start in order. Kansas City versus the Colts. This line was weird. The vibes around this game were weird. Everyone saw it. It was like, this is a perfect spot for a Colts team that has looked awful, getting shut out by Jacksonville. Uh, the prior week in week two, Kansas City, big win against the Chargers, 10 days rest. You're like, okay, what? But there's something in the air around this game. The Colts always play the Chiefs well, going back to that playoff game where Andrew Luck comes back from down, I think, 25 points and beats the Chiefs. This is a tough game for me in a bunch of different ways. Number one, Red Zone completely forgot about this game. So I don't have the Kansas City-Indianapolis game on. Even though it was Tony Romo and, and Nance at this game, I'm like, why is this game not on CBS? Anyway, we got like 10 live look-ins on Jets Bengals and like two on Chiefs Colts. So that, so that was awesome, but maybe it's for the better. Anyway, 
there's a game with the Chiefs and most teams every single, usually once a, once a year, but it almost might be like once every two years, where the Chiefs do like six just incredibly dumb things that if just one of them happened in the game, you'd be like, that is so dumb. The Chiefs did six of them. If they had only done five incredibly dumb things, they would have won the game. So first off, muff punt. So the Colts get the ball inside the 10, score touchdown. Travis Kelsey drops a touchdown pass. Um, We have an incompetent kicker. So Butker's hurt. We sign Amendola, and he just can't make an extra point or like a 35-yard field goal. He missed both of those. And it's like, are there not more than 32 competent kickers in the whole world? Like, is this number 33, Amendola, actually the best person that we could possibly get? Anyway, that leads us to faking a field goal on fourth and 10. It's just no chance. And then Chris Jones at the end of the game, get a big sack on third and long. We have the lead. We're going to get the ball back, pick up a first down or two, and the game's over. He talks to Matt Ryan, gets flagged, automatic first down. They drive down and get a touchdown. My take on this unsportsmanlike, can can the player, the player should have to do something in action, a push, you know, stand over somebody, even though I don't agree with that. It should not be words. There's only like a very small amount of things that a person can say that should deserve a flag. And I just, I just don't think Chris Jones said that. Anyway, um, we saved the best for last. Andy Reid not calling his timeouts, leaves the game with two timeouts. I was wondering after the game, you know, what is what are his plans for those two timeouts? Like, does he think he can exchange them in for like a candy bar or something? So here's the thing. The Colts, and I'm not trying to be like Twitter guy that's like I'm smarter than NFL coaches, but here's the thing. The Colts are driving. They're in the red zone. Chiefs are not calling their timeout. So they end up getting the ball back with 30 seconds left and three timeouts. When you know the team is running the play clock down, you should call the timeout because that saves 40 seconds. Now, would you rather have three timeouts and 30 seconds or a minute and 10 with two timeouts or one timeout and a minute 50? You would much rather have more time and less timeouts because the time you save on defense calling the timeout is much greater than the time wasted when you you know throw a 10-yard pass down the middle and you got to get on the ball and run another play or spike it. For whatever reason, Andy Reid doesn't use his timeouts. I think him, Andy Reid, and Nathaniel Hackett have to be related somehow. Maybe it was just Hackett was in his coaching tree, but um, Andy Reid needs to do the Nathaniel Hackett and just be like, I don't know when to call timeouts. I need a special advisor. Um, Chiefs lose. Not the end of the world, but a bad loss. Okay, next game, Packers versus the Bucks. Packers going to Tampa Bay, get the win. No easy task. We saw Alan Lazard throwing up, I think, after the first possession. We saw that with Buffalo, too, going down to Miami. These northern teams where fall's already starting to kick in, going down south in the humidity, not easy to adjust to. But the Packers come out hot. 14-3, should have been 21-3. Aaron Jones has it, about to cross into the end zone. Then Vita Vey, who had dropped into coverage on the play, jars the ball loose just as Aaron Jones is leaning into the end zone. And the Packers don't come close to scoring after that. They don't score in the second half. They go fumble, punt, 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 interception, punt, punt, punt. 
punt. So this felt like a classic Aaron Rodgers comes out hot, and then they get the fumble. Tampa Bay gets the fumble. Tom Brady's got the ball. The defense is locked in, but Tampa was not able to break through against the Packers. So if you're a Packers fan, you're like, awesome. We won in Tampa Bay. Um, Tampa Bay was missing a lot of guys. Mike Evans, Godwin, Julio, top three receivers. But if you're a Packers fan, here's a bright spot. You guys played nickel the whole game. 85% of the time, you had five defensive backs in the game, and you just had six guys that are paid to take on blocks and tackle people. Okay? 85% of the time, you're in a pass-oriented defense. So you'd think Leonard Fournette would be running over this. Not so much. 2.4 yards a rush. And guess what? Leonard Fournette is not an easy guy to tackle. If you want to see differences between running backs, because sometimes we just all group them together and like, hey, if it's a hole, you know, maybe one running back gets a little bit more or not. There's no bigger difference than going from watching Fournette to Melvin Gordon, who I will get to in a second with the Denver Broncos and his running style. Um, But Green Bay, just incredible defense. They're like, hey, we don't trust that you can run against us. And maybe it was the time and score, 14-3. They're like, all right, Tampa's going to start throwing it. But still, to be in nickel that much and to hold a solid running back and a solid offensive line, even though they're missing a guy, to 2.4 yards of rush is really impressive. And the Packers in the first half, that offense, Alan Lazard on a deep hot route, these uh, incredible slants where Rodgers does a quick play action and then whips his head around and just puts it on the body every single time. And this time it was Romeo Dobbs with Sammy Watkins out. Uh, He's the fourth round pick out of Nevada. He looked good. Um, And also A.J. Dillon, he looks better. I mean, there's he had a lot of hype last year because he's quadzilla and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, we talk about him a lot, but is he – is he a special player? I thought he was really good this year where he's dragging defenders. There's such a big difference between, you know, a two and a half, three yard rush and getting to five yards and he's just dragging guys. Um, so if you're a Packers fan, you're happy. You're like, man, this is maybe one of the best defenses Rodgers has had. If everyone can stay healthy, then at the same time, you're like, you know, this second half offense reminds me of what we had against San Francisco where in the playoffs last year where we jump out to the early lead, two possessions, and then... Um, it dwindles away, but luckily they were able to stop Tampa Bay on the two-point conversion and get out of there with a big win. And it's just another Packers season that starts with a bad loss. And then they're like, oh yeah, they're the Green Bay Packers. They're really good. Aaron Rodgers, really good. Let's finish up with Sunday night football. We had the Broncos beating the 49ers 11 to 10. A lot of people were you know, saying this was a dud game, not interesting. I was weirdly engaged, interested in this game. This is the first time a team that has punted 10 plus times has won a game since 2016. Six years it's been. And the Broncos might have the grittiest, manufactured, pieced together, sloppy, two and one record I have ever seen. They could easily be three and oh if they could convert in the red zone against Seattle. They could also be 0 and three pretty easily a play away against the Texans and in this game Russell Wilson doesn't look right so you're Denver you're like awesome we're two and one Russell's in his press conference saying hey we just got to stack together wins and that's what they've done the past two weeks he doesn't look right in the pocket 
He looks skittish and he's not running. And so I was like, wait, Russell Wilson, it'll be like a third and seven. He'll have a lane to run and he'll just throw it and spike it at some dude's ankles because he's just not comfortable. And so I looked at the stats. What uh, It seems like he isn't running a lot, but let me look at the numbers. In 2014, one of his better years, he would average seven runs a game for 53 yards. That's a lot. On average, the past eight years, he scrambled about six times a game for 37 yards. Okay, so now we look at 2021, last year, when the struggles really started to ramp up with Seattle. Three attempts per game for 13 yards. So you're taking a third of the production away on the ground per game. We look at 22, 2022, this year, three attempts for seven yards. And he's only rushed for one first down, and that was last game. Previous years, he was rushing for three first downs a game. And those come, that's not like a first and 10 scramble. Those always come on big third and six, third and seven quarterback runs for it. We see it all the time with Josh Allen. And Russell Wilson's just not doing it. I don't know if he's scared to get injured, if he's if it's part of the offense, if it's just his new philosophy, hey, I'm just gonna stay in the pocket. And, you know, people were on me for escaping and running around too much. Now I'm just going to stay in the pocket. It almost seems like if he has more time in the pocket, he's more likely to get sacked because he just stays there and does not leave and make plays. He did it in the final drive, and they finally scored a touchdown and won the game. Um, I want to talk about Melvin Gordon. For whatever reason, Javante Williams is not getting, you know, 70% of the snaps and Melvin Gordon's getting a lot and there's the same problem last year. Melvin Gordon, when you watch him play, he's the opposite of Fournette and some of these power backs. It's almost like Melvin Gordon has a contract with all the defenders where he's like, Hey guys, I promise not to try and get any extra yards. As long as you like promise not to hit me hard because he just crumbles when a defender touches him. It's like, when a defender comes and makes contact, he basically tells himself, hey, I'm supposed to get tackled right now, rather than, hey, I'm going to run through and get some extra yards. And there's so many third and shorts, second and short in these games where half yards, yards, they really matter a lot, especially in a game like this. And Melvin Gordon would just kind of crumble, and he, he always gets tackled like sideways. It's never, hey, I'm falling forward and getting that extra half yard. And it's just incredible to watch when you go from a Leonard Fournette who's running through guys, getting the extra couple yards, and then Melvin Gordon who doesn't run through people and just goes down when he thinks he's expected to go down. Last note on the game, the 49ers defense and just the way they play football, that's how you play football. That defense plays with so much excitement. They've got everybody running to the ball. Fred Warner, the, the Troy Palomalu dude who they're um, comparing him to on the broadcast. D'Amico Ryans, the defensive coordinator, is just seems like an awesome coach. So just wanted to say I love, love the way they play defense. Also, the Broncos' defense was fantastic. Um, so that was Sunday night. Um, that wraps it up for today's podcast episode. Be back in a few days. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I look forward to week four. 